The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. We live in a fast-paced, hectic world where it is easy to feel overwhelmed, stressed, and out of control. How do you manage all the competing pressures without losing your sense of yourself? How do you stay focused enough to not only plot a path, but follow it? Welcome to Master Your Life, a show that offers inspiration, insight, and intelligence, as well as success stories for many walks of life that can show you how you can control your own destiny. Our knowledgeable and entertaining hosts and their guests give practical advice that you can use every day in the quest to master your life. Now, here are your hosts, Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin. Welcome today to Master Your Life, the show of insight, inspiration, and intelligence. I'm Leah Mattinson, and I'm joined by my co-host, Dr. Howard Rankin. Howard, how are you today? Uh, I am pretty good. How about you? I am fantastic. <laughs> this week, I uh, just thought we'd talk about uh, things that are going on in our own practices and in our own lives. And I hear you had a little bit of excitement this week, Howard, with the weather down in your neck of the woods. Well, yes, uh, people may uh, may have already forgotten about uh, Hurricane, then Tropical Storm Hermine that came across the Gulf and into uh, Florida and across the southeast United States. And uh, I live in South Carolina. So we got uh, the back end of that storm, tropical storm force winds blowing at about 60 miles an hour. Fortunately, there really wasn't too much damage, um, but there were a number of people here who lost power and you know limbs fell on cars and stuff like that. And of course, living where we do on the coast, that is always a ever-present issue. Um, and we hadn't had anything like that for a few years now. I've had to evacuate a couple of times, so it was uh, it was it, it was it's interesting when you know a big storm like that comes through your life and you have to go into emergency and adaptation mode. And you know, as we were talking earlier, Leah, that that's a good metaphor for life in general. That you never know when tornadoes, hurricanes, uh, tropical storms are going to impact your life and how you're going to cope with them. Yes, and uh, just so funny because I, you know, we watch the news uh, occasionally and see this whole variety of experienced, um, you know, of experiences and how people handle and adapt to things. And sometimes people are, you know, almost look at it like a challenge and other people look at it as an opportunity to to, uh, help other people. And some people are, you know, kind of incredulous and really mad about things that, you know, the the weather, which you have no control over. (laughs) just Correct. saying yep. and and so I, I do think it's uh, you know we have all this array of things or ways that we can choose to respond to like the tropical storms or storms in our lives and I, and I just wonder you know in my practice week to week I see often people who are struggling with uh, you know handling these storms in a productive way and this week I had clients two clients that are really struggling with kind of their weight loss journey and their new new clients to me, and I know Howard, you've got lots and lots of experience in that um, realm as well. And and so, in in your you know history, you worked with several groups. Maybe you could just tell our listeners a little bit about you know, who you've worked with in the past that on the weight loss journey. Um, well, um, you know, my background, my first career, as it were, was as an academic at the Institute of Psychiatry in London working in addictions in general. So that was actually a very good basis for understanding the challenges that people who have addictions and want to or have to make life changes, what they have to go through. So I've really spent my career looking at that. And then I was the um, director of, uh, clinical director of what was then called the Hilton Head Health Institute, it's now called Hilton Head Health, which is a, a residential wellness program. Again, dealing with what people have to do to change their health habits and change their lives. And 
uh, as you know, Leah, you, those challenges come in many different shapes and sizes, and and really people's attitude also comes in many shapes and sizes, many. which 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 is a challenge for the professionals like us who are de- dealing with these issues. Of how do you really? What is your role in helping them come not just to a decision, but to a actionable decision that mm-hmm. then was actually going to change them? You know, and I'm sure that's the core of what you do, right? Yes, and it, we we come at it from a little bit different um, background and experience. You come at it from kind of an academic. Have you ever had a weight like issue yourself, Howard? Have you ever struggled with weight? You know, that's very interesting. Um, in my in my early adult life, um, mm-hmm. I suddenly looked around and realized I was about forty pounds overweight. And this mm-hmm. was in my early twenties. Mm-hmm. And really, what it was is was um, you know doing my graduate work and going up to the bar every night and hanging out with my buddies, drinking beer and eating nuts, you know. Uh, and I realized, gosh, I'm 40 pounds overweight. I never thought that I would be that, you know. Right. And um, you know, I just modified my diet, and really, that's actually when I really started exercising seriously, mm-hmm. and I've been doing it ever since. Um, and I lost that weight in about six months. Um, so I have had that struggle, um, not as much as some people, but certainly I've been there. And of course, you had a major struggle, which we heard about, and you know did an incredible job of not just losing a hundred pounds, but maintaining it too. You know, yes, because really I desperately wanted my sexy back. Quite frankly, <laughs> like what happened? Oh my god! <laughs> uh, but it is the truth, and I think uh, so. Lots of my clients come to me with, um, and I just to be frank, a lot of people have been sexually abused, have issues with, um, you know, food addictions and addictions in general. So a lot of my practice ends up being, you know, like you you see the symptom on the outside is the weight, uh, but what's right. actually happened on the inside is kind of some you know internal damage, and this is the way that people have learned to cope. Um, basically with things and shut people out. So uh, I think that it's a really uh, complex uh, thing when you try to work at it from a histrionic point of view. What I mean by that is when you go back into history and try to find the culprit of why am I struggling so much with food and why can't I lose this weight? And if so-and-so only wouldn't have done this to me, then I would be okay. And that it's like getting in the headspace that, that finding the culprit uh, and trying to fix something in the, in the back end of history is not going to change your current reality. And the current reality can only be changed in the in the present day and in this moment. So what I do with clients and the, the, these two new clients that I have this week, it's almost like they have to get through their own whiny brain sort of syndrome about, so I'll say, well, wh- you know, why don't you want to lose the weight? Because you seem to not have lost it up to this point. Well, it's really hard. It's like, that's hard. And I'd have to give up the things I really love. And, you know, it, that might take some extra work. And that's exactly how they sound. And I and I completely feel okay saying it because <laughs> I'm pretty sure I sounded like that at some point in my life too. Uh, and just like you with your buddies going, oh, it's like I want beer and I want the nuts. That's so good. <laughs> Right. So, so what are the points, you know, like that you think were, you know, turn it around? Well, that's an interesting one because people come to their behavior change, you know, from many different angles, different emotions and different motivation too. And of course, resistance to change is huge. And, and one of the things that I enjoyed as a challenge and do enjoy as a challenge as a coach is how can I create a communication that is not going to arouse a defense, um, you, you're probably familiar, Leah, with a well-known psychotherapist called Milt Erickson. Absolutely. And, and Erickson was the past master of understanding that if you people, if you hit people head-on, their defense goes up, and you forget it. You've lost them. Okay. So the the question is, how can you find a way around that defense? How can you find a way around that communication? And one of my favorite Erickson stories was that a woman came to him in her 20s and she was completely sexually frigid. And what Erickson found was that her mother told her that sex was evil, dirty, shameful. And then her mother had died when this girl was 12 years old. Mm. So mother had died. Now she's a glorified, glorified image, right? That right. This, this woman is never going to hear anything bad about. 
Now, the natural logical thing is to say, oh, my gosh, your, you know, your mom's neurotic. What is she telling you? That's terrible. But he knows that if you say that, the defense is going to go up. That message is not going to be accepted, right? So what he does, and this is a great illustration of his technique, and it's brilliant. He says to this patient, your mom was absolutely right. Sex is evil, terrible, and shameful when you're 11 years old. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, she didn't live long enough to give you the 15-year-old message about sex and the 19-year-old and the 22-year-old message. And I bet if she did, what she would be saying is that in the right relationship, it is a very important part of a healthy life. Mm-hmm. Whereupon, mm-hmm. apparently, this woman accepts that and, hey, presto, now she's motivated to do something about her frigidity, you know? And so I think that that is something that's very important is how you talk to anyone so that they begin to own the message rather than put up the defenses. When people used to come to me, uh, I don't do that so much now with quit smoking because there aren't so many people smoking, but when people come to me and they want to quit smoking, I'd say, well, why the heck do you want to quit? Because you know that everyone else has told them, you idiot, you should be quitting, don't you want to... I don't want to say that because if I do that, up goes the defense. I want to I want to throw it back on them so they can come up and tell me what their motivation is, not what I think their motivation should be. Right. And so I'm just fascinated by the communication skills that go into being, you know, a good coach and a good therapist that help free people from the, the their their own thought processes and their own limiting beliefs. Yeah, absolutely. I think, too, the, um, that when people learn to have that dialogue with themselves, they can self-coach out of a lot of bad behavior because they can ask themselves, the, you know, the question of who am I right now and, you know, who is it that I want to be and how is it that I want to be, you know, for my life in a month from now? But instead of it being somebody beating them over the head with the latest plan, they can, right, right. you know, they can come to what plan might work for them um, most strategically. And and so I think with uh, my two clients, their biggest um, resistance is around that's hard work. That's hard mm-hmm. work. And I so I say, so when have you done hard work in the past? Because I believe that most people have done some hard work in their life. And I'm not let down. I'm never disappointed. People always are able to think of a story when they've done hard work. And what's the payoff been? And it's usually a really great payoff. So I'll say, so sounds like this is something totally in your wheelhouse. Right. Hard work sounds like it's something totally that you're great at. So I'm just curious where this is getting in your way now. And then they'll go, oh, yeah, that's, yeah, I did. I have done hard work. I have done things that have been difficult and challenging. And it's almost like that. Um, understanding that they're growing and accepting right. that they're growing and they, they, they don't need to stay stuck in the place of the old story. Right, because, you know, in, in many cases, of course, sort of resistance is the default setting and why should I and I, it is a lot of work and I don't know whether I can and I'm fr- afraid of failure and I'm afraid of success and on all of those things that go into resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and you've got to get beyond that thought process um, into something actionable where they can see themselves, even if it's a small change, they can see the benefits of that, uh, however that's manifested. And, you know, that's a bad action rather than talk. Yes. Yeah. And, and so with the, in particular with those the weight loss clients, I think some of the surprising things that they don't even realize um, is they, they believe there's a belief culturally that it takes a lot of exercise to lose weight. Mm-hmm. And the, the truth is 80 percent of what you look like is what goes in your mouth. And so right. they're quite surprised by that. Most people are quite surprised and they'll go, what? Oh, right. Uh, the benefit ups, there's certainly a huge benefit to exercising, and I would never discourage people from not exercising. But the belief that they have to stay at a certain, you know, weight or in a certain state because they maybe have an injury, for example, um, that's uh-huh. you know limited their ability to do the physical activity that they once did. So they'll have a big weight gain while they're trying to figure out how to regain being active. I just say, you know, it it is what you're putting in your mouth. So what do do we know about, you know, nutrition? How can we figure that piece out to make it easier? And for a lot of people, that's very inspiring to go, what do you mean? You don't, I don't need to run 10 miles or do a super ultra marathon. (laughs) 
<laughs> well, no, it, right. Small changes uh, mm-hmm. can have massive differences if they're sustained. So, you know, you um, eat 250 calories less a day, that's 26 pounds lost in a year. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Yes. And that's a snack, you know, for most people, probably. Yeah. 250 calories taken out every day, 26 pounds in a year, which mm-hmm. is pretty good, you know? Yeah. And so, again, we be, we've been – one of the problems is we've been sort of programmed to think, you know, by, you know, programs and the media and products that it is all about, you know, be, becoming an Ironman or running a marathon or com- doing a complete change in your diet. And all of those things may be, you know, honorable and, and noble things to do, mm-hmm. but typically, you don't. that's not where you start, I yeah. don't think. I- no, and I started like so when I lost my weight was is 18 years ago now, and I remember just looking at myself in the mirror and thinking this is completely unacceptable. The state you're in, you'll never be in a bathing suit with your. My children were really little, and that was the catalyst I needed because I thought I'm going to be that mom that never takes their kids anywhere, and I, I absolutely that is not. I can't. I'm not doing that. So I just don't know. Somebody gave me a resource that was uh, written by a nutritionist and it made complete sense at that time. And it was eat when you're hungry, stop when you're full. And I had had been eating all the time for so many years to suppress other things that were going on that I didn't even realize physiologically when my stomach growled for hunger and when it didn't. So just it was this a real basic get to know my body again uh, that got me started on the road. And so I'm looking forward to our next segment where we talk about some other strategies or noticing and that this whole weight loss or dealing with addictions is a journey and that there's many ages and stages of growth and many things that will knock you off and that <clears throat> there's also many tools and wisdoms and insights and disciplines that can get you back on track. So after the break, um, I'll be joined again by Dr. Howard Rankin. We'll be talking about insight, inspiration and intelligence for living a healthy life. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. If you've been searching for fat loss and mental clarity in one place, think ketosis. Maybe you've heard about a ketogenic diet, but have been totally turned off by the painstaking effort to do it. Well, agonize no longer because there is a solution. What could be just as simple and easy as taking your daily vitamins? Visit reallifetraining.expert to find out. Raise your hand and get in on the front end of the total wellness revolution. Get well, manage your mood, clear your mind. Visit reallifetraining.expert now. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Master Your Life. To reach Leah Mattinson, Dr. Howard Rankin, or their guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to Leah, that's L-E-A-H-A, at changeyourlife.expert. Now, back to Master Your Life. Welcome back to Master Your Life. I'm joined by uh, Dr. Howard Rankin, and today we're talking about how to create and live a healthy lifestyle and deal with some uh, bad habits <laughs> and, hmm. and breaking bad habits. So uh, before the break, Howard, we were talking about uh, bad habits around eating and weight loss journeys, and you have actually written three books uh, in the span of your professional career about that specific subject. What what books are those and how can people get a hold of those books? Um, the first book that I did was when I was working with Take Off Pound Sensibly, which is a non-profit weight loss support group based mainly in North America. And they have, you know, thousands of groups across the country. And, uh, and certainly when I was doing this book, they had something like 300,000 members. Uh, and I wrote a book called Inspired to Lose, which looked at 35 stories of TOPS members and, um, you know, their narrative more. You know, it was really about the personal story behind the weight loss, not just, oh, well, I needed to lose weight. And so this is what I did. It was it was really about the individual motivation and, and their story and how that tied into how they managed to succeed. Um 
and that actually was a successful book. It was an Amazon.com bestseller. And so um, Hay House approached me to do another book, and I did that, a very similar sort of book called The Top's Way to Weight Loss. Uh, and then just recently, I did a similar book called Weight Loss Interviews, uh, which I know is definitely available on Amazon. Uh, again, looking at individual stories of what it was that really motivated them. How did they overcome the resistance to change? Because, you know, when you're talking about behavior change, that is the issue, right? And Mm -hmm. so, to me, that's the core issue when you're talking about weight loss. In many ways, it is in some ways what you eat and is secondary to why are you doing it? Because if you don't know your why, you won't be doing it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and and so of course there's another aspect to that which I want to ask you about Leo about your own weight loss journey is you know it's one that you, you have one set of motivation if it were as you were to get started okay I'm going to get started on this I'm motivated because but then there's a then there's a different typically a different set of motivations to sustain that change and that's where people I think fall down because they don't don't switch if you will their motivation for sustaining the change mm-hmm. now you you know you did this remarkable thing of, of of keeping 100 pounds off and i'd be interested to know about your motivation how that changed from okay i'm going to do something about this right now to the maintenance what was was there a shift in in what dr- drove you there yeah i think that um i was really motivated and driven by the number of people that uh, came up to me and asked me like a how I did it and B how I kept going and uh, and because they were asking because they were having their own struggle and I went from uh, and so it's just been this really lifelong learning why I gained the weight in the first place. So I looked to mentors to help me sort through some childhood stuff around sexual abuse. So um, John Bradshaw's got a really great book called Reclaiming Virtue. And in that book, it explores lots of different things about uh, all these ages and stages of development. And if you're interfered with at certain ages and stages, then how you might um, cope or how things might keep coming up in your adult life. So what I found was as a coach, and I have a specialization in counseling youth, th- those would be a lot of the kids that would be coming to see me, uh, mm-hmm. would be kids that were struggling with, you know, the sexual abuse. And then uh, often families had huge amounts of people with weight problems. And kind of as I got out into the bigger world, there just seemed to be, you know, lots of people with this same struggle. So that's what actually kept me motivated through my my journey was really other people going, um, you're such an inspiration. And wow, I would go where, you know, people hadn't seen me for many years and I would have been um, overweight and then come back in my new body and they would go, Uh holy smokes, like what the heck happened? (laughs) And then to be able to say, uh, you know, well, here's what happened. Here's what I realized. Here's what I needed to do. Uh, And to keep myself motivated during that 18 year path, like I took care of when I lost all that weight, I had lots of excess so I went and had surgery to take care of that and that was like my commitment to myself to not ever put the weight back on um, right. right yeah so just to go and and the reward of the hard work of losing the weight was also going and taking care of it so that I could um, you know live a fairly healthy uh, and look decent sort of life uh, I know people who have been morbidly obese and who've lost the weight and have not done the surgery afterwards and then have put the weight back on. You know, so the ability to continuously set goals in front of yourself to get better and better and better, whether that's kind of physically or mentally or spiritually, um, those are all things that motivate me. And I think it's interesting that your sort of maintenance motivation to, to, to a large extent was sort of external, was related to the external world. In other words, there was accountability to people. Mm-hmm. You didn't want to let them down. You were also getting a lot of positive feedback from people. Mm-hmm. You know, if you if you were alone on a desert island, um, either really or metaphorically, and you didn't get that feedback, it would have been a lot easier, wouldn't it, to, to relapse do you think? I, uh, here's what I think happened for me, and and 
I don't think I'm alone, is that when you lose weight, you reconnect with your body. So on a desert island, <laughs> if, you're, if you're sitting there scantily clad in your loincloth or whatever it is you're wearing, you reconnect, you're reconnected with your body. Like you physically feel your body, you feel your body in nature, you feel what feels good and you take that all in. When you're overweight, your body does not feel good. You cover up, you um, don't enjoy your self, I think anyway. I didn't enjoy myself. I certainly didn't enjoy intimacy uh, and all those things. So on a desert island, when you're your own best friend, I think you'd take better care of yourself. And you get lots of coconuts, which is like totally like uh, keto, keto, right? <laughs> so my brain health would be rocking. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't, thought, uh, <laughs> hadn't thought of that, hey? <laughs> yeah, I hadn't thought about the coconuts, no. It totally escaped me, so I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> I know. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> but, but, but you know it, it is you know this whole thing about you know what sustains a behavior change effort um, and, and what doesn't and, and you know when we're talking about losing weight um, there are some biological things going on um, as a recent study came out that after weight loss um, the ghrelin and leptin levels which control appetite actually go up. In other words, your appetite goes up as your body tries to compensate for the fact you're not eating as much. And it takes a while. Uh, In one study, I saw suggesting maybe a year for those levels to go down again. Mm -hmm. And so here's some sort of biological evidence that, you know, when you cut back on your intake of food, your body responds initially by trying to get you more food by making you hungry. And so there's also some biological factors that are going on as your body tries to sustain its its sort of equilibrium, and uh, and that's a challenge for a lot of people. So in that study, Howard, do you know if there like the biological re- response was to a regular nutrition plan, or was were people on a specific nutrition plan of some kind? Like how was that? Uh, I don't know that there was a specific plan. I think it was a sort of reduced calorie. Mm-hmm. Uh, concept so people were eating less and I guess the bigger message was when you eat less after you've been eating you know the same way for a while you eat less your body will try to get you back to eating more because that's what it's been trained to do and and the biological markers of that actually increase mm-hmm. so you really are I mean if people have been on a diet for a guy I just felt hungry at doing this and it's such a challenge well you are and I, th- I think, too, that science now supports that there's lots of evidence for uh, that you can control some of those cravings by paying more attention to your actual nutrition. So if you're eating the same way as you've always eaten, you'll get the same result if you're only doing calorie restriction. But there's lots of evidence, lots of evidence to support uh, eating in a ketogenic uh, way supports not only neural health health but it shuts off appetite um so in those brain receptors that have been so used to being fed sugar often is the trigger and they go hungry 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 because uh, sugar doesn't shut off your hunger it doesn't shut off appetite um, right. but fatty proteins do so there's you know tips and tricks for people to understand how they can fool their biology and i think it's even like that relates to how we talk about um, managing our genetic destiny like what are the switches that you're able to turn on and off and that there's, there is plenty of evidence to support uh, that changing what it is that you put into your body as fuel will control your th- help to control appetite and in turn your thinking. Yeah, and, I, and talking about thinking, I do think the concept of just calories and just only thinking in terms of calories and calorie reduction and restriction is, is itself very restricted hmm. thinking mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and, and very misleading. And so I totally yes. agree that you've got to look at your total diet, the foods you're eating, uh, and some of these foods uh, encourage appetite and some don't, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for example, uh, sweeteners. So, well, they don't have any calories in. Ah, but what sweeteners do is, you know, the body responds to sweet taste. Mm-hmm. So if you take a sweetener, the 
taste receptors in your gut, and you do have taste receptors in your gut. I've been reliably infor- informed by a very well-known gastroenterologist whom I help write a book. Um, what happens is, so that you get the sweet taste, your body says, "Oh, we're getting more glucose. Let's absorb the, you know, let's get, let's absorb the glucose we got into the bloodstream to make sure that incoming glucose we're going to use." But there is no incoming glucose. So your blood glucose actually goes down and now you get hungry. <laughs> right. And so. I fell into this trap yesterday, uh, which, and I don't fall in the trap very often, but the trap was we were on the road and uh, my loving partner, Dwayne, <laughs> packed us a little snack. We always take food to go because we never know how long we're going to be. But he packs, packed some uh, beef jerky and some other like pepperoni stuff. And then for me, he packed mock crab. So I I took a bite of this mock crab and I'm you know eating away without really thinking about it and then I just thought wow is this ever sweet like why mm-hmm. is this so sweet and then I you know I get scrambling around the truck and pull the package out of the <laughs> out of the oh, wow. lunch bag and read it and it's like the third ingredient on it the this first ingredient was mock crab or crab meat <laughs> the second one was um, uh, what was it like rice protein which would also not be great mm-hmm. and then and then sugar. I'm like, oh my God, what? I have been in ketosis now for, you know, eight days and I knocked myself out of ketosis by right. eating this crab. Well, I was just like, what? Oh, anyway, <laughs> my little yeah. aside, but it well, sneaks no, no. in. Well, no, I, I was interested. Did you see how many grams of sugar per serving there was on that? I, I, I probably did. very high. Yeah, yeah, it might have been three grams. It was high, and I kept it and wrote on the Ziploc baggie on the outside of it, uh, not sugar-free in big black felt pen, and I thought I'm going to actually take a picture of that so that I remember <laughs> and to share with people because, you know, you think, well, I'm eating a, I'm eating fish. Well, it's not really fish. Oh, it's good. Right, exactly. And some fish are not good for you. Well, I, I, I think this whole concept of cutting back on sugar and being very mindful of sugar content it certainly would be something that I would encourage people to do because um, I – Again, I've walked that walk. You know, I've looked at, I was raised in Britain, you know, where we had lots of candies. So, you know, very sweet tooth, which over the years, fortunately, I've been able to change. But, you know, I'm very, I've become very mindful of sugar content. You know, partly the Scherzeis were on the show and basically said, you know, if you have a high sugar diet, you increase your odds of dementia and cognitive decline. So, uh, you know, I think that's a very, very important motivation and point and i you know really mindful of sugar the first thing i did was basically just start drinking only water mm-hmm. okay mm-hmm. uh uh had cut back on sodas and those sorts of drinks for a while but you know i would i would have four or five cups of tea or coffee a day and you know two or three spoonfuls of sugar in each well yeah, heck that's that's, that's 60 grams of sugar <laughs> right that's right a there. ton that's it a ton. And, it's, and it, I think that um, for me, I will put a shot of lemon in my water just to give it a little flavor, but that's it. And and by no means do I want to make sugar to be completely evil. <clears throat> my mom is an absolutely fantastic cook, and uh, neither of my parents are overweight by any stretch of the imagination. And she uses real butter and real sugar when she bakes people's birthday cakes and she makes beautiful desserts and she makes wonderful pies. And we go home and we enjoy those things when we're breaking bread together. Right. And so when we're when we exclude food, that's not exactly the message I want to send either. It's just that there's so much in our processed foods right. that it can be quite uh, detrimental if we're not if we're not watching. Yeah, and I think that's right. I mean, it's not saying, oh, don't have any sugar. You know, you, it's about, and that would be very difficult. It's about, you know, keeping that to a reasonable, I think the sort of recommendation is for men about 30 plus, about 30 grams of sugar a day, uh, women a little less. You know, okay, and around that level. But if you're having, you know, some of these things, so I have a, a little yogurt smoothie that I bought ages ago. It's a small thing. 25 grams of sugar in it. I mean, it would, it's not difficult to run up 100, 100. Raisinets, 60 grams of sugar in a small box. You know, it's not difficult to run up 100, 150, and that's where the problem comes. Not and you're sweet enough. Food. You're sweet enough, Howard. <laughs> and well, so are our listeners. Our <laughs> listeners are sweet enough also. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll try to remember that. I, was, I struggled to keep my 
can't end down that I don't need to be any sweeter than I am. Um, so I, I just think that's, again, it's about what your goals are and how you deal with that. So uh, when we come back after the break, you know, perhaps we'll come up with some practical tools to help people with their lifestyle uh, change efforts. Uh, when we come back on the other side of Master Your Life. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com If you've been searching for fat loss and mental clarity in one place, think ketosis. Maybe you've heard about a ketogenic diet but have been totally turned off by the painstaking effort to do it. Well, agonize no longer because there is a solution. What could be just as simple and easy as taking your daily vitamins? Visit reallifetraining.expert to find out. Raise your hand and get in on the front end of the total wellness revolution. Get well, manage your mood, clear your mind. Visit reallifetraining.expert now. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Master Your Life. To reach Leah Mattinson, Dr. Howard Rankin, or their guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Or send an email to Leah, that's L-E-A-H-A, at changeyourlife.expert. Now, back to Master Your Life. Welcome back to Master Your Life. I'm co-host Dr. Howard Rankin, along with Leah Manson. And today we're talking about lifestyle change, and particularly lifestyle changes for health. And the challenges we have, Leah has been telling us about her inspirational story of losing and maintaining that weight loss of 100 pounds, which is really, really incredible. In this section, we'd like to give you some practical tools based on our experience and wisdom uh, in helping people over the years come to grips with all sorts of health issues and lifestyle changes. Leah, if you were to give somebody advice about what they could do on a daily basis to ensure that they first instituted change and then maintained it, what would some of the things be? I think fairly simply, it would be nutrition, sleep, exercise, reverence for life, (laughs) love in your life, and having a determined mindset uh, to habituate new behaviors and to turn yourself towards the moral intelligence of living a better life. Right. Um, And I think those are all important. And it is not just one of those. I think it's all of those together. Uh, I think there's a tendency when we give or anyone gives, so here are five points for whatever healthier life. I think there's a tendency for people to say, oh, I can do one and three. But it's really about doing all five actually mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. you, you know one of you know if you if you have poor sleep and we know that a lot of people are overweight have very poor sleep if you have poor sleep your body is going to feel tired what does it do to get energy well it's going to go to the quickest source which tends to be kind of processed junk food if you don't have any energy you don't really have the energy to exercise some self control so all of these things really tie together and it's important to recognize that i think that the problem of saying that is people say oh my gosh i can't do all of those things at once and get discouraged uh and i just certainly believe in making changes one mm-hmm. step at a time what do you think about that yeah absolutely i couldn't agree more and if i was going to pick one thing for people to do differently and i know that this had the biggest impact on me uh, so if i go back to the very day i was talking about when i was you know standing there looking at my kids and i thought there's no way that i can be this kind of mom i don't want to be this kind of person the thing that i did was i put them to bed that night and i was a single mom i put them to bed that night and I was living in a fairly a small town, very small town, 1,200 people. And I put them to bed. I locked the door to my house and I ran as fast as I could around the block. And believe me, it wasn't pretty. <laughs> 
and I ran up the steps and I, you know, unlocked the door and I made sure the kids were okay. And I was just about dying laying on the front step, but (laughs) they were okay. So then I locked the door and I ran again. And I did that as many times as I could until I actually couldn't do it anymore. And, and the, what changed in that moment was that I took an idea and I did an activity. So I didn't sit and stew about it. I didn't think about it a whole bunch. I didn't, um, you know, journal about a big plan. I just thought, what is it that I know how to do and that everybody knows how to do? You know, pretty much everybody knows how to run. <laughs> so, uh, you know, or walk fast or whatever it was. But it was that moving to action that actually made something change in my brain. Yeah, that, that, that's interesting. Uh, you're lucky you didn't give yourself a heart attack. But, right. um, <laughs> um, uh, but that's interesting. That's a metaphor, really. I'm, I'm not sure we're suggesting everyone start locking the door at night and running around the block. But um, taking some action, making that an action is very, very important. Uh, as you say, it's just otherwise it's just an idea, right? It's, you know, Absolutely, it yes. It doesn't and mean I- anything. Yes, and it doesn't mean anything unless you're actually doing something physical about it. So, And I know in my practice over the last 25 years as a coach and as a speaker uh, to some very, very world-class performers that they all have a morning routine that is about um, getting up and getting themselves jazzed for the day. Mm-hmm. And so do you have a morning routine like that, Howard? Yes, well, I, I learned this traveling <laughs> Uh, uh, traveling uh, in Asia in my youth. Mm-hmm. And when you're traveling in certain, those, certainly back then when you were traveling in certain parts of the world, you know, the, the, the food and the sanitary conditions weren't exactly ideal. Mm-hmm. So the rule of thumb was you woke up, you read the newspaper. If your name wasn't in the obituaries, you got up. <laughs> and got started and so it, it, it's the same thing you know you it's it's easy to lay in bed and feel sorry for yourself and oh, i'll just get some more sleep and have you just got to get up and do something actually mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. right it could be a walk around the block it could be you know but some physical activity i think is very very important there's a noticeable difference when you actually move as opposed to you know contemplate moving Right. So for people who are stuck on what that might be or that it might be really complicated or, hey, I don't have the right gym gear or my shoes are terrible or like any of those thoughts that are stopping you from actually doing something physical, there is like just super easy physical activities that you can do that don't take any equipment at all, at at all. And so that can be as simple as jumping jacks. Like remember when we were kids and in gym and I'm sure everybody in the world knows how to do jumping jacks. If you do 10 jumping jacks, I can absolutely guarantee that you will affect your state. If your knees can't handle that, just do a few squats to sit down on a chair, but like with some energy, right? So up and down, up and down, up and down, like do 10. You don't have to do 500. You don't have to do burpees. You don't, you know, it doesn't have to turn into a military training workout of killing yourself. But there are things that when you roll out of bed, you can um, start your day by, by turning on your physiology right away. Some people do deep breathing exercises um, that are very robust, you know, so, you know, in for five and then out for five, but out through the mouth, like, like that to get them going. Uh, so you might not even be able to move. Maybe you're somebody who says, I am paralyzed in this bed. <laughs> I don't want to get up. Start with changing your physiology through breathing even. Can, yeah. can change your day. Yes. Yeah, and I think that's important is to to get, get into an action. Get moving in some way. I think it's very important first thing in the day. So that would be one very useful practical tip. What about something else that people can do on a daily basis to stay focused and give themselves the energy they need to change? Well, one of the important tools that I used was a food journal. And I used a food journal for many, many years. I don't necessarily use one very uh, often now just because I am so habituated to eat what I eat. But if I find after holidays or something that I need to get a little more accountable, then I'll food journal for a few days to make sure uh, that I'm only putting in my mouth what I say I'm putting in my mouth. So what it what it does is you basically write down from the time you wake up in the morning until you go to bed at night everything you consume. 
So whether that's water, coffee, tea, alcohol, like all your liquids, all your supplements, and every piece of food that goes in your mouth. So if you're standing in the kitchen and you're having a cheese snack every you know, couple hours, then make sure that you write that down and your real meals. And just then you can kind of get an idea of what it is that, that you're consuming. And then you go, wow, that's, I eat a lot more than what I thought, or I'm drinking a lot of, you know, wine where I thought I was having one glass, I'm having three glasses, uh, or, you know, three beer, you're having eight beer. And alcohol is certainly a big, in North America, we just drink a lot, probably 80% of adults drink during the week. So, if there, if there was one way or one accountability that would help people to get sort of a clearer brain would be uh, Xing out alcohol for just a few days even just to see how their brain function changes. And, mm-hmm. and that journaling keeps you accountable. So uh, no, how about you for you, Howard? Any other well, no, I just, I just, yeah, I think it's so important because, you know, the fact is we deceive ourselves. Actually, uh, I did a, I, we do, I, I did an interesting, what? I did, a, especially as far as eating is concerned, there was a, I was just reading a paper yesterday um, mm-hmm. on uh, nutrition surveys. And the, the fact is that typically in, certainly in North America and Europe, um, the, the default setting is people gain about a pound a year. Mm-hmm. Um but a lot of people say, oh, no, actually, I lost, but they didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in fact, um, this paper was pointing out if we accepted what people said, we would assume that the obesity rate is going down rapidly, whereas, in fact, it's not. <laughs> so we deceive ourselves. And um, in my academic days, I did an interesting study. And if you're in the study, you would come in and there would be foods lined up. I think there were cookies, there were nuts, there was cereal, uh, and and. The instruction was, I just want you to taste a little bit of each of these things and then rate the taste of of these things. But the actual experiment was really about how much of those different things they ate. Because after they'd done that, uh, they were asked to estimate how many calories they'd eaten. Mm -hmm. And although Mm -hmm. these people knew, they were selected because they knew the calorie values of food, they totally underestimated how how much they'd eaten. You know, and we do that. We do that. So I think it is important to monitor and be aware. Now, I have a a different, slightly different angle on this. I think what tends to happen is you say to people, well, I want you to monitor your food intake. And for a week they do it and they say, oh, okay, great. And then they stop. Right. You don't want to stop. Now, you, you know, but equally, you don't want to monitor yourself every day for the rest of your life. You're not going to do that. But yes, you do have an initial period of monitoring where you begin to understand. But every week thereafter, pick out at least maybe just one day a week where you're watching what you're eating, because that will help prevent you from deceiving yourself. Right. Which well, again, I think, yeah, to how, how excited are you about having a different life? And then your level of excitement going, well, on a scale of one to 10, I am really excited about changing this in my life or you know one (laughs) not that excited so people who are at a one absolutely one time a week is fantastic but if you're at a 10 in your life of going I really want this to change believe me your obesity or your overweight didn't happen as a result of stacked up days of great behavior so it's not going to come off by you only monitoring stuff or doing stuff once in a blue moon and that's the commitment where people go um I know I created this bad habit in a span of three years. Is there some way that I could beat this thing in three months? Like what's what's the actual number of days that it would take for me to habituate a new pattern? And there's many studies and, you know, mm-hmm. lots of arguments for 30 days and 66 days. And, you know, but it, it, it probably is not going to take you as long as you think. And it's probably not going to take as long as you think if you're really like excited about it. Well, the excitement speaks to the motivation and the passion, you know. Mm-hmm. If you're really excited about it, you are going to monitor yourself because then that's, you know, kind of part of your mindset and you want to do that. Mm. Um, and I'm sure that's correlated with success. I, I guess the point that I was making is that if you're not quite there, you still need to be monitoring yourself on a regular basis, maybe not every day. Ideally, you would do that every day, but that might be too much to ask. And again, I think it's important to be practical here and to get people to start making small changes that are sustainable. 
right. uh, you know, rather than a ton, of, a ton of changes. You know, somebody says, oh, "Okay, I'm fed up. I'm going to lose this weight. I'm not going to have any dessert. I'm not going to drink any alcohol. I'm cutting out all my snacks. I'm not going to drink any." You know, give themselves a list of like ten things. They're never going to do it all. Mm-hmm. They're never going to do it all. Well, I, and so I will challenge you on that a little bit, Howard, because I think it's like there's, I think you're right in one way of the idea of counterbalance is important. I think there are people, though, who actually can do that. They, they can actually cut everything out and do everything right. And so I just would want people to have some sort of like optimism about if that is actually your mindset, if your mindset is really one of really, really strong and right. uh, to tell yourself, absolutely, I can do this thing. Uh, for other people, they may be more comfortable with the approach of uh, taking it a few days at a time versus having it all done in 60 seconds. But saying that, you know that I have to come from a completely impractical position <laughs> because of the neurological thing I'm dealing with, which says, you know, I'm not supposed to get sick. You know, so in right. my mindset, all things are possible. That's my mindset. All things are possible and they're possible right now in this moment. That's up to me, you know, and, and somebody bigger than me to decide. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, when we're giving general advice, it's going to be different than when you give specific advice. Uh, Just my concern is that, um, you know, if if you're just talking generally, I think a lot of people will be overwhelmed with a lot of changes. But are there people who can do that? Absolutely. And so it's a question of individualizing what's going to work. Yes. And and I want to, before we wrap up today's show, I just want to highlight some of the awesome work that you're doing, Howard, in terms of uh, developing a great, um, you know, coaching practice for people who are dealing with all kinds of um, baking, you know, breaking bad behaviors and also uh, that you're developing uh, uh, keynote speaking around the idea of I think therefore I am wrong. And just so if people are interested in what it is that you're doing in your practice, how can they find out more? Um, well, they can actually go to the site, I think, therefore I'm wrong.com, um, uh, where there's a way of contacting me. Um, the show information has my contact information, so I'm always interested to hear from people and, and see if I can accommodate their needs. So uh, those are two ways of doing it. Um, and also I have my site, psychologywriter.com. How about you, Leah? How can people get hold of you if they wanted to use your speaking and coaching services? This, they can get a hold of me at reallifetraining.expert and on my website they will find a list of speaking services and coaching engagements that I provide for my clients and uh, what I think is awesome about both of our businesses and both of our practices is that we're really working towards helping people to live better lives and develop uh, strength, internal strength and fortitude to have their uh, life be better every single day. So thank you Howard for uh, your insight as usual, uh, you're brilliant, and I just appreciate you so much and the time that you spend here uh, every week with our guests. I hope you have a fantastic week, and until next week, uh, when we see you all again, take care and look for opportunities to have your own insights, be your own inspiration, and find intelligence around you. Thank you for being a part of our show today. Master Your Life with Leah Mattinson and Dr. Howard Rankin can be heard every Tuesday at noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now, go enjoy your successful life. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.